0: Welcome to the Elevate Life Church podcast of the week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Keith Craft. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit elevatelife.com. I believe that you can not only learn from the history of others and their experiences, but I believe when you read what others have written, that you have the potential to learn from them without having to go through what they have gone through to know what they know. In other words, when you read them, you gain access to their greatness. Every time you read somebody's book, uh, just like my book, Your Divine Fingerprint, I mean, it's my life message, you're reading their experience, you're reading what they've learned from their experience, you're reading their life. And when you read them, you gain access not only to their greatness, but you gain building blocks for your own life from the brilliance that they have. You know, in my house, uh, I not only have an office and a study, but I've got my own small personal, what I call my rich library. And uh, uh, again, when you're not the sharpest knife in the drawer and you know it, then you better read a lot. But, uh, but it's in the entry of our home where there's a piece of antique furniture that houses one of the greatest treasure troves of books that I own. And it's the, the volumes of the History of Civilization by Will and Ariel Durant. And in this 11 volume, uh, sort of 26 years it took to compile uh, this History of World Civilization by Will and Ariel Durant. They're the foremost writers really on, on history. Uh, You have things like the life of Greece, Caesar and Christ in just one volume, the age of Napoleon, the age of faith, the age of reason begins, the Reformation, the age of Voltaire, uh, the age of Louis XIV and how that one leader in the world shifted the whole world, uh, Rousseau and the, the revolution. But it's in his introductory book, The Lessons from History, that Will Durant writes somewhat of a disclaimer in regards to his own interpretation of history. And here's what he says. He says, to begin with, do we really know what the past was? What actually happened? Or is history a fable not quite agreed upon? He continues and he says, our knowledge of any past event is always incomplete probably inaccurate and be clouded by ambivalent evidence and biased historians and perhaps distorted by our own patriotic and religious partisanship. Most of history is guessing and the rest is prejudice. And I just think, first of all, that it's wise for him to realize that as a writer of history, because really everything about anything that's ever happened in history, we view through a person's filter that's writing about that history. And yet it's the same thing in your own life. When you look back on your life and you look at the history of your life, you have to understand something. It's not about it being right or wrong or good or bad. It's about the filter that you interpret and the significance that you give to your own history. So when we're talking about history, it's understand, it's important for us to understand that history is not just history. History is based on, like when I think about history, I think about the past, I think about the present, and I think about the future. And because of that, I refer to one book that is not only the best-selling book of all time, but it's the most sacred book that I possess, and that's the Word of God, that's the Bible. In fact, it's the one book ever in history that ties the past, the present, and the future together. It is the story of the greatest figure of history. It is his story, the his story of Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. And within the story, this this story in this book from Genesis to Revelation, that in context and the content of every character in the Bible points to his story. It points to Jesus Christ. The divine authority which Jesus claimed from the Old Testament, he also promised for the New Testament. And on many occasions, Jesus promised his disciples that after his physical resurrection, he would send the Holy Spirit to comfort them and to teach them, to lead them, to guide them. And the New Testament is the fulfillment of all those promises. I mean, you know, we kind of take it for granted because we read the Bible and Jesus is having a discussion with his disciples. And he says, you know, uh, I'm going to die. And uh, by the way, I'm going to be crucified. He's prophesying. How does he know that? I- I'm going to be crucified. You know, not everybody got crucified. He said, I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to be in the grave for three days. But after three days, I'm going to rise again. And he's just saying that like over uh, a meal. In other words, he was prophecy. And so what's amazing is 92 times in the New Testament, Jesus says it is written, which pointed to the significance of the Old Testament. Jesus said in Luke 18, 31, everything that is written of the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. 33 times he says that it might be fulfilled, referring not only to the authority of the Old Testament, but through the infallible proof that he was indeed the son of God. Can you put an amen on that? Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, he said, I've come not to abolish the law of the prophets, but to fulfill them. So here's what we can conclude based on the authenticity of the best-selling book of all time, the inspired word of God, that all of history is about his story. We can believe, based on empirical historical accounts of civilizations and recorded genealogies from the beginning of time that are in the Bible, that the Bible, the Word of God, is indeed, in capital letters, the account, the history of His story, and how every story, including our story, is about His story, who was and is and is to come. And I share this with you because, you know, you're living your life. It's 2018, in case you didn't know that. It's March 25th. And, you know, you can just see your life and you can think, hey, I was born during this time and here's my family, here's my mom, here's my dad, or, or here's the family that I was born into, and here's my life, and here's my job, and here's my work, and here's, here's what I'm doing, and here's what my hopes, and here's what my dreams are. And we can think that life is just about that, or life is just about us But I want to proclaim to you today, I want to declare to you today that your life is more than about your life. Your life is a part of his story being rolled out through who you are and who you're becoming in Jesus' name. And it's not based on who you've been. And it's not based on your past. Your past is your past and your past has no future. Or let me say it a different way, your past only has the future or any significance in your future that you give to it. So we're talking about Jacob. We're talking about the heel grabber. And when we started this series a few weeks ago, Dr. Robbie was here as our guest, and he talked about Abraham, and he talked about Isaac. And so this this whole family dynamic, the Word of God, was really based on a family. But not just Abraham's family, not just Isaac's family, not just Jacob's family, but those are our forefathers. It's based on our family. And God in His sovereignty has chosen for you to be born for such a time as this. Let me say that again. God in His sovereignty has chosen for you to be born for such a time as this. And by the way, He has a plan for your life that fits in a bigger plan that He has for the world and for your family and for your marriage and for your future. So we started last week talking about Jacob the heel grabber. And and this week I want to continue that thought process and just want to kind of encapsulate a little bit what we talked about last week that in Genesis 25, that Isaac, who was Jacob's father, went before the Lord. He pleaded on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea, his request. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And so she, she, she knew that she was pregnant, but she thought, what in the world is going on inside me? And she went and she required the Lord. She goes, you know, I thought pregnancy was going to be a good thing, but this is like, this is like killing me. And God spoke to her and said, there's two nations in your womb, not just two babies. I mean, that, you know, no person thinks, hey, I'm a, honey, let's have a nation. <laughs> but can I tell you this, that the baby that's been born in your family or the babies that have been born in your family are way more than about that one baby or those two babies. Whether they realize it or not, they're a part of, of a bigger plan that God's doing in the earth. And so there's these, two, there's these two nations in your womb. Two people should be separated from your body. One should be stronger than the other. In fact, the older, so God's prophesying to her, based on her prayer, the older is going to serve the younger. And the story goes on, and, and sure enough, the due date came. And so the first baby's coming out, and he was red in color, so they called him Esau. And just about as his last leg was coming out, all of a sudden they saw a little hand wrapped around the ankle of the first one. And they said, okay, there's the heel grabber, which means Jacob. And so Esau read, and Jacob the heel grabber were born. And that's why we say around here all the time for everything in the natural, help me out if you know it, there is a supernatural correlation. In other words, God had prophesied that this would happen. And so very quickly this story unfolds and Esau grows up and he becomes a great hunter and he's an outdoors guy and he's hairy and he's, he's just, you know, supposedly a man's man. And he's his father's favorite because what he killed, his father got to be the beneficiary of and eat. And then there's Jacob. And Jacob was more of a renaissance man. He was more of a metrosexual he was more, you know, he liked the indoors, more like me. Anyway, he, he just, you know, I know I've got a lot of hunter friends. Scott O'Keefe is my best friend. He's a big hunter. We've gone hunting once, and uh, and so anyway, he loves outdoors. Uh, I like a little bit outdoors as long as there's a Ritz-Carlton close. And I like, I mean, I'm just telling you, I, I like to go outside, but when I come inside, I want the inside to be almost as good as the outside. So anyway, so that's how Jacob was. And so, so, so Esau was his father's favorite, and Jacob was his mother's favorite, and long story short, can you imagine some of the conversations that the mom was having with Jacob and she wasn't just maybe trying to stir up controversy and discontent but she said you know God just told me something it's so weird like you know how you grabbing your brother's foot when you came out and 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 we named you Jacob well it's God spoke to me that like Jacob I know I know he's he's supposed he's the firstborn he's supposed to get the birthright which by the way in the Bible the firstborn son got double of what all the other uh, sons got all the other family members got because he was the firstborn and and so Uh, and he he had the authority and the responsibility of the dad when the dad passed away, and on and on and on. And yet there's this this birth order switch supernaturally that the the older was going to serve the younger. And it's it's replete. It's it's many times in Scripture with, uh, you know, Eliab and Shammah and Abinadab. You say, who were they? They were the older brothers of David, but you don't hear about them. Or with uh, Joseph, who was the 11th son of Jacob. But you don't hear much about the 11 sons or the 12 sons. Benjamin will be born as the last born. You don't hear much about the other sons, but you And what is it that God was like? What, what, what is God always doing? He's always doing the reverse of man's way. That's what he's always doing. And he's always doing the impossible. And so when our lives look impossible, and when it should be this way, God says, no, there's a better way. When it should happen this way, no, God says there's a better way. And so again, this story that we have, Lessons from the Heel Grabber. So we talked about it last week, that, that we learned from Jacob to grab your birthright. And, and what I inspired, hopefully inspired you to think about last week is that because of Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ was the firstborn son of God that and the begotten son of God and he received the kingdom from his father that now Christ promises to share his kingdom and his inheritance with all of us and we all have birthright privileges but you have to realize that. And if you're focused on your insecurity, if you're focused on what you've lost, if you're focused on what you're not, if you focus on what you don't have, you'll never realize that there's a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ever ask or think as long as you don't limit him based on what you think you're not where you think you came from what you lack and measuring yourself against somebody else and God says you are my son you are my daughter I've got a great destiny for you and for everything that concerns you so don't limit me and so grab your birthright Understand that there's a part of God's treasure. The Bible says in Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, that God wants to open his good treasure over your life. There is a future, listen to me, that God has for you and for your children's children and your children's children's children that by you living your life the way you're living it right now, you're digging wells that they're gonna draw from that they don't even know about. And it's gonna be awesome. And I'll get to that in a minute. So again, grab your birthright. Everybody say, grab your birthright. The second lesson we learned that we talked about last week was that the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. And I want to come back to this. We learned this from the life of Jacob, that his steps were ordered by the Lord. It's not where we're going that matters most, but it's who we're becoming in the process. So oftentimes we're focused on where we're going. We're head down, butt up. Or if I could just make this amount of money, if I could just move to this city, if I could just do this and do that. And God says, listen, let's go back to who? Let's go back to who you is and who you was, but most importantly, who I've called you to be. I want you to understand that. God wants us to understand this, that our steps, sometimes even when we don't know it, are ordered of the Lord. The Bible says in Psalms 37, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He delights in his way. And though he falls, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholds him with his righteous hand. Proverbs 24, verse 16, for a righteous man. I mean, a good man, good woman may fall seven times, but gets back up. How many of y'all have ever messed up? You're seeing for the hands that aren't raised. I'll give you another chance. How many of y'all have ever messed up? How many of you have ever messed up more than once? How many of you have ever messed up doing the same thing more than once? Isn't that just the stupidest? It's the stupidest thing. It's the stupidest thing. And after the fact, it just makes you feel so stupid. And you hear yourself call it. Nobody has to call you stupid. You go, I am stupid. How many of you know what I'm talking about? This is an idiot. This is idiotness. (laughs) Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, every man proclaims his own goodness. You see, in in and of ourselves, this is part of our pride. We want to look like I'm better than that person. At least I'm not like them. You know, my friend Peter Lowe used to tell a story. We did these big success events, and he'd say, you know, we could both, like, like, jump into, what's the, what is it, the Pacific Ocean that's off the coast of California? We could both jump in the Pacific Ocean, and we could, we could say, I, we're going to, we're going to race to Hawaii. And I could be way ahead of you, but the bottom line is, neither one of us are going to make it to Hawaii. And that's how a lot of people live their life. Well, I'm making more than you. I'm doing better than you. And somehow we think, hey, I'm doing, well, at least I'm doing gooder than that. And I'm not, you know, I'm not that bad of a part of my And God says, every man proclaims his own goodness. Why? Because we're trying to, we're, we're trying to feel good about ourselves. But the Bible says, but a faithful man who can find. What does faithfulness mean to God? Faithfulness, listen, it'd be great if you were perfect, but then you wouldn't need the blood of Jesus. Let me say that again. It'd be great if you were perfect. You never made a mistake. Pastor Precious, she's, like, she's close, man. Like she, she doesn't need much blood. <laughs> she might need a drop of blood from Jesus. Like I need to be washed in the blood of Jesus. Rod, you know what I'm talking about. So, so. but guess what? The cost of one drop is the same as a bathtub full. So it's like, (laughs) I'm a better sinner than you. (laughs) It didn't cost quite as much. No, he had to bleed for the way you think, for the way you be, for what you do. And that's why you can never judge somebody or you should never judge somebody. Because all you're saying is by judging them, can you believe what they did? No, because I can't believe what you just said. And we have to guard ourselves because that's us proclaiming our own goodness. Faithfulness means when you mess up, you get back up. God's just looking for some people that get back up, and they're not defined by that thing, but they define that thing. So, steps of a good man or of the Lord. You know, I talked about this last week. I want to come back again to it, and then I want to finish. But let me let me just say this: this this has been on me lately. I mean, big on me lately. And here's what it is. Guys, put it on the screen. The, the things that happen in our life and what those things mean are up to us. This is what messes so many people up. Well, that thing that happened, that person that did that, 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 that thing that I did. Listen, I want you to get the, put, it, put it back up there, guys. There is a superpower that you have from God. I said a superpower. Some of you don't think you have a superpower, but you have a superpower. And the superpower is to take whatever things that happen to you and you assign the meaning to those things, not let those things assign meaning to your life (laughs) or meaningless to your life. And not that you walk around like, you know, I mean, I'm just saying, like, what did that mean? Like, what did that relationship mean? What did that situation, what does it mean, that family that I was born into? Whatever you make it mean. That's the superpower that you have. Why? But based on the word of God. How many of you know, I really do. I, I need your mercy sometimes because I, I probably don't always do it. But I really do as the father of this house, as a pastor, and as a preacher, as a proclaimer of good news. I try to to, with everything that's in me, honestly before God, that when I speak to you, I try to make sure everything is based on the word of God. Now I may not always do that, and I'll try to be aware of it when I don't, like Paul. Hey, this is not the Lord, but I'm gonna say it anyway. And by the way, it was recorded in the Bible. But what I'm telling you right now is recorded in the Bible. Because here's what Romans 8.28 says. Now look at this. We said it last week. We, I, I emphasized it last week, but let me emphasize it again. And we know, say we know. Say I know. That all things, not some things, not the good things, not the bad things, not the mistakes I've made, not the pain other people have caused me, not the negative situations, not the, the positive situation. No. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. Do you love God? Come on. You're not perfect, but do you love God? To those that love God and those that are called according to His purpose. In other words, God, I know I mess up, but I want your purpose fulfilled in my life no matter what. Guess why that needs to be important? Because if you love God, and if you know that you want his purpose in your life, then you can know everything in your past, everything in your present, and everything in your future, God will use for your good. And it doesn't matter how horrible it is, God will use it. For your good. So we're the ones that give meaning to things. So with that said, we took a look last time at the life of Jacob. And here's what I want you to see. And I'm, this is why I'm taking time to reiterate it. Because here's a guy that lived 147 years on the earth going backwards most of the time. Taking one step forward and two steps backwards. It's like God had all these promises for him. So he goes from Beersheba and he's running from his brother who he got his birthright from his brother. All right. He gets his birthright for a bowl of soup, but his brother gets so mad about it. And by the way, uh, Pastor Sheila and I have been having some of these discussions lately. that There's, there's bad envy and there's good envy. Here's what bad envy is. Bad envy is you see something somebody has and you, you, you get jealous about it and, you, and you, you have a difficulty in your heart and you don't like people to win and you don't like somebody to get a new car because you have this old broke down car. That's bad envy. But you know what good envy is? Is when you see somebody and they're blessed and you go, man, I celebrate that. And if God bless them and they're a son and daughter of God, then God can do the same thing for me. That's good, that's good. So too often times, here's where most people live. If something good is happening for somebody else and it's not happening for you, we don't celebrate people. We don't honor people. We look for ways to cut people down because we want our own deal. And so here was Jacob and he goes, he's running from his brother because now his brother's got bad envy. And he's the one that caused the problem. And he gave his birthright to Jacob, and he's running, and he comes to this place called Bethel. We talked about it last week, and, and, and he, he, he's so tired, and he's so frustrated, and he lays his head against the rock. And that's the, that's the first thing this week that I want to talk to you about. That's the third thing on your notes, and that is when you lay your head against the rock, the rock represents Jesus Christ. It's his story. You can think, oh, he's just using a rock for a pillow. Who does that? But when you lay your head, when you lay your thinking, when you elevate your thinking, you elevate your life. When you lay your thinking against the rock, then all of a sudden, his eyes were open, and he sees the, op- the heavens opened over his life. And I just prophesy over you as you lay your head against the rock, come on, that God is going to open his heavens, open the windows of heaven over your life like you've never seen before. If it happened for Jacob, it can happen for you. And so all of a sudden, he saw something he'd never seen. You see, we see things that we've never seen before if we we'll lay our head against the rock, who's Jesus. We, we experience things we've never experienced before. God puts an eternal perspective in our temporary circumstance. When we lay our head against the rock, when we lay our head against the rock, we see a ladder. And he saw this ladder from earth to heaven, and he saw angels descending and ascending. And he's just going, wow, wow, this is amazing. And in the midst of his running from his brother, in the midst of running to find a wife, in the midst of running towards his dreams, and this this tension, I don't know if you've ever felt this tension before, but this is a tension that many people have. They've got this stuff in their past. They've got these dreams in the future. They wonder, is it ever going to happen? It's called uncertainty. You know, I did something, Josh. uh, I read it to your mom, and I don't know if I'll ever share it with you guys or not. But like yesterday morning, I woke up, and I thought, why am I awake? And for the first time in my life, I wrote down all the reasons I was awake. I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about this family member, I'm thinking about this circumstance, I'm thinking about this situation, I'm thinking about Easter, I'm thinking about this weekend, I'm thinking about, and I just started listing all these things that are keeping me awake. You see, sometimes the things that are we think are keeping us awake are actually the things that are keeping us asleep to what God really has for us. And it wasn't until Jacob laid his head against that rock, he sees this ladder that God speaks to him. And as I said last week, Jacob, the very land that you're lying on, in between your fear and in between your future that you wonder, will it ever happen? Will I ever meet the right person? Will good things ever happen for me? Does this birthright really matter? I mean, my life is a mess. And in that mess, God speaks to him because he laid his head against the rock and he says, I have a great plan for your life. Let me just tell you something. No matter where you are at this point in your life, When God says that "That land that you're lying on, I'm going to give it to you and your descendants. Whatever your lessons are right now becomes the land that your family will dwell on in the future. He gets up from that place and he says, surely the Lord was in this place and I did not know it. How awesome is this place? How awesome is this place? This place. This is the gate of heaven. This is the house of God. And Luz, from that point, was named Bethel. And Bethel, this was a precursor of what the church would be for the family of God. Welcome, by the way, welcome, not to Elevate Life Church today, but welcome to the place where there's an open heaven and where in this place there's a gateway to heaven that every time you come into this place, God is gonna open the windows of heaven over your life and give you a picture and a future and a hope and a belief and a word and a prophecy about what's going to happen good for you in your future. He goes from that place to a place called Haran, and for the next 20 years he would stay there. He didn't plan on staying there for 20 years, but when he talked to Laban, Laban said, if you want to marry my daughter, uh, Rachel, then you're going to have to work for me for seven years. And he was deceived by Laban, had to work seven more years because he got both the girls, and one was really great and gorgeous, and the other one was a girl. and so. Then he worked six more years for him. and spent 20 years in the next place. Not the place of his dream, but the place of learning and growing and getting his alignments right. And getting a work ethic and working for somebody else so that God could give him what he had only for him later. Long story short, he went from that place to... Many, many places. After 20 years, he ends up at a place called Jabbok. And, and his brother, after 20 years, is still pursuing him. He's still mad at him. And he's so concerned about it. And he gets to this place. And when he comes to the brook of Jabbok, he begins to pray. And he starts to wrestle, the Bible says, with God. He's wrestling with the man, the Bible says. And as he's wrestling with the man, the man, God says, let me go. And he says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And the man, God said, what is your name? And he said, my name is Jacob. He said, your name no longer is going to become Jacob. Your name is going to be called Israel. You are my prince and your life will be filled with victory from now on and not defeat based on your Jacob. You see, he didn't fight against God and win over God. He fought with God and won over himself. That's our biggest battle. My biggest battle is me. Like Sheila and I'll fight, sometimes, but you know what the biggest problem is in that fight? It's me. Any conflict in my life, the biggest problem is me. Any thoughts that I'm having, the biggest problem is me. And when we lay our head against the rock, it's only then we get to see the ladder. You see, you're not just a human being having a spiritual experience. You're a spiritual being having a human experience. So you're responsible for taking your temporary, which is the seen, and putting that in the context of the eternal, which is the unseen, and to take your past and your present and to say, God, okay, what I do today matters. What I did yesterday, guess what I'm doing? I'm, I'm forgetting those things which are behind. I'm looking for the things that lie ahead. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of Christ Jesus, and whatever I sow today, I will reap tomorrow. So no matter what I've done in the past, I'm going to sow new seed today because you've got a great plan for my life. Listen to me. God has a great plan for your life. Put your hand on your heart. Come on, say this. Say, God has a great plan for me. And there's stuff in the future that has your name on it and your family and children that hadn't been born yet. Oh, I know about Layla Shaila, and I know about Libby Raley, and I, about, and I know about little Charlie Monroe. But can I tell you, there's still children that are unborn in my downline that I'm digging wells for right now that they're going to draw from in the future. You see, how do you, you say, how do you know that? Because here's what happens. 2,000 years before, Jacob goes to a place called Shechem, and he digs a well. And he thinks he's just doing it in the natural to draw water. But about 1,800 years later, Jesus is in Shechem that's now called Samaria. And he said, I need to go there. And no Jew was supposed to go there because the Samaritans and the Jews did not even talk to each other. And Jesus said, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, but I I need to go through Shechem slash Samaria to get there. And just by chance, he meets a woman at a well who's there drawing some water. And by the way, it wasn't about her water. He goes, you know, you've had five husbands. There's a lot of dysfunction in your life. And by the way, the man that you're with right now, he is not your husband. Oh, I think that you must be a prophet. And Jesus said, but it's not even about that. Let me tell you what it's about. You see that job that you're doing right now? I want you to put yourself in the picture now. You see that that thing that you're trying to draw from to give you sustenance and to give you resource right now? It's so much more than about that kind of water. I just want you to know I am the living water and the water that you're gonna drink of, it's gonna nourish you for the rest of your life. And so allow this thing in the natural, your job, your your, your, your uh, relational situation, no matter how dysfunctional it's been, uh, put that t- temporary thing into perspective. Because the king of glory, the king of kings, the son of the living God is here and what he's saying to you, by the way, and then Jesus says it in John 4, verse 5 and 6, here at Jacob's well, you say, what does that mean? 1,800 years before, Jacob digs a well that Jesus himself uses to become the well of life for a woman. It was looking for love in all the wrong places looking for love in too many faces and he says you know what Jacob had no idea you have no idea what you're doing right now the wells that you're digging that in the future God is going to use to draw from to bring life because of you our steps are ordered you might say, but I've made so many mistakes. Jacob, 147 years, by the way, Jacob at, at Jabok and Shechem and, and and Haran, all these places were the opposite direction of where God had in his future. How many steps forward and two steps backward have you taken in your life? Can I just give you some good news? God says, I'm gonna use it all. I'm going to use it all. I'm going to use it all because it ain't about your steps. It's about my steps. This got me thinking. By the way, if you think you're in a dysfunctional family, in this one family, Jacob calls all his sons together in Egypt. I don't have time to go into this story. But you you know a guy named Joseph, who his own 11 brothers were going to kill him because they were so jealous of him, bad envy, because he was their father's favorite and he was a dreamer. And they were so jealous of the favor that was on his life, they were going to kill him. And then one of the brothers said, let's sell him. And his own family sold him into slavery. And now all these years later, he's the second in command in the world's most powerful empire and he brings his family and his father to Egypt so he can take care of them. Wow, so much to that story. And so in Egypt, Jacob brings all of his 12 sons around. and He says, I'm going to bless you guys. By the way, here's the family dynamic at this point. Three stepmothers all living in the same house. Ten stepbrothers, one brother, one stepsister, all in one home. It was a family filled with jealousy, strife, anger, lust, deceit, competition, secrecy, rivalry, discontentment, instability, hatred, and constant conflict. And you think your family situation was bad. There was incest. So Reuben is the first son, and he steps up for his father's blessing. And you know what his father said? Reuben, I know you're my firstborn. You were supposed to have the birthright. But you slept with my wife. So, Simeon, you come on up. That was the firstborn. And then he, he talks about what Simeon hadn't done right. Then he goes to Levi, and then he finally gets to Judah, the fourth son. And look what he says. Judah, your brothers are going to praise you. You will grasp your enemies by the neck. All of your relatives will bow before you. Wow, we've heard this before. This sounds like something, Joshua. Like a lion that crouches and lies down like a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? His descendants until the coming. Listen now, because here's the prophecy. The most significant, one of the most significant prophecies in the Bible by Jacob. Until the coming of the one who it belongs to whom all nations will honor You see, he prophesies that there will be a scepter that will be given through the lineage of Judah and that there's one called Shiloh, which means Messiah that is going to come and it will come through Judah and he will be called the lion of the tribe of Judah. 2000 years before it happened. You say, what is his story about? His story, all the way through his story. So I don't have time to go into it, but let me just touch on it. Hello, McKinney. We love y'all. Give McKinney a big hand. Thank you for being with us. Invite somebody to Easter. Listen, I don't have time to go through it, but the bottom line is by the time he blessed all of his sons with as much blessing as he could give them, he comes to Joseph, and Joseph has two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, long story short. He crosses his hands because Manasseh was the older, Ephraim was the younger. He crosses his hands because his right hand was supposed to go on Manasseh, but Ephraim was on his right and Manasseh was on his left. He crosses his hands. Joseph said, hey, you've made a mistake. Your hands are crossed. And he tried to, to uncross his hands. And the old Jacob looked at him and said, I know what I'm doing. Don't try to uncross my hands. In the sign of a cross. He puts his hand on Ephraim, and he gives him the firstborn blessing. He blesses Manasseh too. For the next 400 years, the blessing of Ephraim that came through Joseph, that came through Jacob... The children of Israel would be referred to Ephraim all the way up until the time of David, who was of the line of the tribe of Judah. So the children of Israel were referred to as the tribe of Ephraim. Long story short, Psalm 78, verse 67 and 68 there's this little just passage of scripture that the tribe of Ephraim rejected God so God rejected them and he chose another of the tribe of Judah. And then the Bible says in Psalm 78 verse 70 to 72 that he took David from the sheepfold who was from the tribe of Judah and he chose him not just to lead sheep but to lead his people because of the integrity of his heart and the skillfulness of his hands who by the way David would be an adulterer. David would be a murderer and God still chose to put his hand on his life because he knew his heart. He saw the future. He knew what would happen. But then this Jesus would be born from the house of David, but he would be the leader of the house of Jacob forever. Oh, you see this thing. It's not just a cute little story that you go, oh what does that mean? Like what is it? It means Jesus. Every say it means Jesus. It all points to Jesus. So again, just very quickly. Last last time I was with um, you guys, I didn't get to this, but this made me think about something. Now, some of you are aware that I coach CEOs and business owners and small business owners. We do this through a mastermind process. And we've talked about that some, and I'll talk about it intermittently because if you own your own business, I'd love the opportunity to help you do that. to to coach you in that, but that's a separate deal. But one of the things that we do is we take people through a timeline of their life and try to give some significance to different things that they've walked through and that they're going through that relate to where they're going. And so what this kicked me into is I looked at Jacob's life and for 147 years, he's like taking one step, two steps back, he's going here, he's going there, but he doesn't seem like he's getting to where God wants him, but yet he did. But guess what? Eventually, he got back to the cave of Machpelah because he was taken out of Egypt because of the alignments in his life back home even after he was dead. See, even after you're dead, God will carry your legacy into the future to the place where God wants it to be, even when you're dead meet. Here's what happened. From 1960 to 1975, this is the house that I grew up in, in Dallas. South Dallas, of all places, Oak Cliff, Cockrell Hill. You notice the tire over there? It's still there. Anyway, uh, that's, that's my little house right there. <laughs> can you imagine that in Frisco driving up in your neighborhood? You'd be calling your homeowners such, so hey, you got a tire in the front yard. find you $50 if you don't move that tire. Anyway, so that, that's where I grew up. Look at those chairs on the porch. You know, some of y'all do. I don't know where those bushes came from because they weren't there when I was growing up because we had no horticulture. We didn't have a horticulture bone in our body. But that's the house I grew up in, 15 years. We then moved to New Orleans and for about just a few months. And my dad was retiring as a policeman. He was taking a new job and uprooted our family. We'd been in the same church. We'd been, had the same friends. My next-door neighbor had been my best friend for 15 years. And on and on, all of a sudden, we're like uprooted because my dad was taking this new job. I was mad at him. Everybody's mad at him. I don't have time to go into the story, but in New Orleans, I went to an all-boys school. This is a nightmare for me. No girls. I remember the third, by the by third period, all I saw was boys. I asked the guy, I said, where are the girls? He goes, oh, man, you know, here in New Orleans, we have a sister school. So our sister we are, our school is Grace King. I said, how far is Grace King? About five miles. From here. I said, the girls are five miles from here. I've died and gone to hell. He said, this is like, this is my worst. What in the hell? Within three months, we were in Slidell, and in Slidell, basketball coach comes up to me, and says, you play basketball? I said, yes, sir, and the first game, I saw that. First game, I saw that. All of a sudden, I go, hmm, I'm, I'm in heaven now. I'm in heaven. First day I was there, I met her, began to pursue her. I was so upset at my dad for moving us from Dallas. Little did I know that I wouldn't just meet her, but I'd meet her twin sister and her older sister, that God would use me to introduce her twin sister to her husband and her older sister to my older brother. And if God hadn't moved us, how would our destinies be different? See, it wasn't just about me and Pastor Precious now. It was about the destiny of her twin and the destiny of her older sister as well. Because, see, God uses all of us different ways. I just happen to be a matchmaker. <laughs> I need to have a show or something. I think you would go with her and you'd go with him. And Sheila can tell you, we've got friends all over the world that I've aligned and connected. It's just a gift. I don't know. Slidell. We go to Slidell to Springfield, Missouri. I played basketball at Evangel University there and for four years. And just can I tell you, that was the hardest time in my life. Very difficult. Oh, yeah, go ahead, laugh. (laughs) Let me see your picture from 1978. (laughs) When I think about Springfield, Missouri, I don't think about my basketball career. I think about how hard it was, how difficult it was. don't have time to go into the story, but what do you think about that last place or that place 10 years ago or that? You see, it's not what happened in that place. It's the meaning that you give to what happened in that place. from Springfield we went to Dallas and we got married and man I just my dreams were starting to come true it wasn't easy it was hard i remember even at our marriage some people that we loved very much you know people go around and and to in the video used to video camera you know big old video camera not your phone uh, you know not insta story hey you get married uh, it was big old huge hawking. BHS machine and so somebody's walking around and everybody's going oh yeah, it's wonderful y'all eight and a half years you're finally getting married some people that we loved very much at the end said well we guess you're just doomed for each other we hope you make it and I think about my wedding and I think about am I going to let what that person said or that person's negativity affect my wedding day What meaning do you give to that place? What meaning do you give to those people? You see, that's the lesson of Jacob. And sometimes we wear hurt like it's a garment. And we've allowed it to fit us, in fact, to almost be a one with us. Rather than say, no, here's what that's going to mean. My life will prove that what they said, it won't be doom, it'll be awesome. My first house in Grand Prairie... The house is smaller than it's on this screen. This screen makes that house look big. Some of you remember the glory days of the early 80s, my interest rate was 14%. It wasn't easy to buy a house in 1983, 84, especially when you were a first home buyer. 14% interest, it's hard to even fathom that today, but we were so happy. We were so happy we couldn't hardly afford to do anything else because we got this house. And that's when I went from a mean lean about 215 to about 240 and 245 because we were eating Captain Crunch for supper and (laughs) it was not an easy time. Then I went to Sherman as a youth pastor. I thought, what in the world? And that's where I met this guy, my best friend. I thought why would I go to Sherman and youth pastor Sherman is like off the beaten path it still is and yet God moved us there and I met him and my life would change forever because it just so happened that God used him as he was a commercial builder. I had no idea in 1983, 84, that God would want me to build a church in the fastest growing city in America. I sure didn't know what to do, but that guy did. And so he spearheaded as my best friend, the first building we built, which was 8.7 million. And in this building, $38 million. And I didn't go to one construction meeting. All I said is, when is it gonna be done? But our relationship is so much more than that. His son's sitting right over here, Garrett, you and your bride stand up. Now his children are in our church. And that that guy right there uh, served our country as a Navy SEAL for six years. And then he married this princess, this Cinderella. And 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 now they're pregnant. Oh, oh wait, oh wait. Oh, am I prophesying? Yeah, I'm a spiritual father, that's what I do. So, so so, here's the deal. Y'all lift up your hands. So the baby's coming. I'm not sure if you are pregnant right this minute, but it's gonna happen very soon. And I don't know how that's gonna happen, Garrett, but I just know it's supposed to happen. So the house was the tipping point. Now it's time for the child. So bring forth and your father will be very glad. I prophesied this and he'll be very glad that you were here today. So it's time for babies. Okay, God bless you, you may be seated. All right, now. Now, y'all, y'all are going to think that's funny till I have them stand up next time. And they go, I can't believe what you said. But <laughs> certain things I know, Garrett. <laughs> How did I know that a discipleship program that I rolled out when Scott was younger than Garrett, that his son would be a part of helping in that discipleship program with our youth now? How did I know that? How, I didn't know that. Here's my point. Where, where have you been in your life? We go from, from there to Seattle, and, and I joined this power team, and it was the craziest thing. I'd never, uh, Jeremy uh, was, Jeremy's a fraternity brother. He came many years after me, but, uh, but we were going to these huge stadiums. I mean, the largest meeting uh, places, and filling them out, 15,000, 20,000, 30,000 people. And God spoke to me and said, I'm giving you a picture for what's going on in your future. They said, about this, this is about what I'm going to do in the future. Just quick personal story. One of the meetings we did was at ORU and, uh, and the Maybe Center. And it was packed out with 6,000 people on the outside. And they said, this is bigger than when Elvis Presley was here. And it was so funny. You know, you're in your 20s. You're going, yeah. And, and I, just, I just, buddy, I just cut an album. And I just made this album. And I was so excited. And the first place I sold it was there. And Sheila and I, in that one week, made more money from album sales than I made that whole year. And I told her that I'd ever made in one year. And I said, we're gonna be rich. This is gonna be, but more than that, thousands and thousands and thousands of people came to Christ and God began to give me a picture for what he wanted me to do. So, so again, on and on and on. So then we moved from there to Arlington, Texas. And, and so here I am praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And by the way, Arlington, Texas, what's my first memory? Pastor Josh. Makes me cry. I'd love him, rock him. You see, I'm, I'm praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and I'm leading the power team over in Israel, and it's June of 1987, and I'm praying, and God says, just as there's a new baby being born, I'm birthing a new ministry in you. I remember I got up from that place. We were there for 14 days. I called Sheila. I said, hey, we're supposed to move to Arlington, Texas, get everything packed up. She was one month away from Josh being born. July 28th, he was born, but we'd already moved to Arlington. We moved over July 4th weekend, because when I got back, I said, let's go. We came to Arlington. I started my ministry, Strike Force. Then we moved to Lancaster, Texas. I always had this dream. I wanted five acres until I had five acres. Oh, my goodness. Some of you guys know, if you've ever had acreage, you mow and you mow and then you get it all good and you got to mow again. I mean, it's it was wonderful. My kids loved it. They grew up there. It was so much fun. And back then, Josh and I dressed alike every day. <laughs> I just don't like black every day, son. I like it, but I don't like it every day. Anyway, so in 1996, we went to a church in Carrollton, Texas. God connected our hearts. By 2000, we moved to Carrollton while our house was being sold in Lancaster because God began to speak to me in 19, uh, in 1997 when I was 37 that I was going to start a church. And long story short, we came to Frisco. Now. This kicked me into, I I, I could spend just all day, but it's not about my story, it's about his story. And just like it's not about my story, it's not about your story, but it's about your story, our story in the context of his story. In other words, I can look back and go, I was so upset at my dad for moving us to New Orleans, Louisiana, that got us to Slidell, Louisiana, that I met the most beautiful, wonderful person I've ever met in my life, and that her sisters met, I think they think they're beautiful and wonderful, uh, husbands. And God kicked this. He began to show me part of my life's mission with every move that we made. When I went to college on a basketball scholarship, Sheila, and both her twin sister went with me. And again, that's where I introduced her to her husband. On and on and on. Whatever role we're supposed to play along the way, God says, I'm going to use your life. I'm going to use the failures. I'm going to use the successes. I'm going to use the positive things. I'm going to use the negative things. But it's the meaning that we give to those things. And so with that, let me just give you the last thing. The lesson that we learn from this heel grabber is we've got to get rid of our Jacob so God can add his glory to our story. You see, what happens is there's a this place called Jabuk where, where in one of Jacob's journeys where he went, he was running from his brother. He was so upset, he's... he's, he's He's wrestling with God. He's fighting with God. But then God not only blesses him and gives him the victory over himself, but God reconciles him with his brother. But guess what he had to be willing to do? He had, what's your name? Jacob. Well, your name is not going to be called heel grabber anymore. Your name is going to be called Prince. And in that moment, listen to me, that was his moment. In that moment, he got rid of his Jacob and God brought his glory to his story. And he became a prince. Men, look at me just for a second. You are a prince. You are a son of the most high God. Only God can give you that kind of status. You may have been born poor. You may have been born in a dysfunctional family. There may be a lot of mistakes that you made. But let me just tell you something. When you are willing to lay your Jacob down, God will give you everything that your prince self deserves in the name of Jesus. Girls, let me talk to you. Ladies, you're a princess. But oftentimes we don't feel like princesses. We were in in the first service and there was a guy that has a a ministry. and Is it it people that have been in prison or been what is it, the ministry that he has? Human trafficking, all kind of stuff. And there were 13 girls that he brought with him. That all the brokenness and all the, but can I just tell you something? It doesn't matter what your life, what has happened in your life, good, bad, ugly, beautiful, where it happened, with who it happened here's what matters. You give the meaning to meaning. And if you'll do the same thing that Jacob did, and what did Jacob do? He was willing to lay down as Jacob. What's your name? It's Jacob. What's your name? Well, it's, what does your name mean? I'm not talking about the etymology of your name. I'm talking about what does your name mean when you live there? What does your name mean when you were with them? What does your name mean when you were that? What does your name mean when you did that? What did your name mean when they did that that you had no control over? You see, here's the bottom line. You're the one that has to lay your Jacob down. Why? Because God wants to raise his glory up in your life. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Make sure to get your copy of Pastor Keith Craft's new book, Your Divine Fingerprint. And visit elevatelife.com for other exciting new content from Elevate Life Church.